Do you feel overlooked and invisible because you're an older woman? Have you had those age jump days when you look in the mirror and swear that you're looking at your mother? Do you feel the clock ticking and wonder whether you have enough time to check off all the items on your bucket list? Hello, I'm Jane Leader, and I'm the host of Older Women and Friends, a podcast about and for older women that kicks stereotypes to the curb. We older women are the keepers of stories, and guests on Older Women and Friends share their stories about love, loss, dreams, friendships. But let's not kid ourselves. Aging can be a messy, complex affair. But older women have been around the block a few times and learned a thing or two. And this podcast celebrates their lessons. In many cultures, older women are revered as the keepers of stories. They're wise women whose advice is sought and shared, but not so much in our world. But we can change that and put older women back where they belong at the top of the food chain. So put in your earbuds and join me on Older Women and Friends. Ann Douglas is Canada's most trusted writer on all things parenting. But now Ann has switched gears and has written Navigating the Messy Middle, a fiercely honest and encouraging guide for midlife women. Now, I suspect that many women listening to this episode are beyond what is considered midlife. I know I am, but those of us who are older will find many stereotypes and assumptions which sadly still apply. And if you're one of the roughly 68 million North American women grappling with the challenges of living in a culture that tells you your best before date has long passed, And here I thought expiration dates were for commodities like milk and bread. Then listen up, because Anne has a lot to share. Anne, welcome to Older Women and Friends. Jean, I feel like I'm I'm being invited into like this the secret society of older women. I'm I'm so excited because I honestly I'm on the brink myself. So I feel like I'm getting to look inside the door of the clubhouse. So your book is all about stories. You interviewed over a hundred midlife women, and you've shared their stories. And before we talk more generally, can you please share some of your stories? How have your middle years affected your desire to write this book? I feel like I I had like a couple of different midlife experiences. It's funny because you know midlife they say technically runs from maybe around forty to potentially sixty five, give or take a little bit of time depending on your life, right? And that's a big chunk of time during a year, like a, a number of years in your life when a lot can be going on. So I sort of think of. The early part of midlife when I had a million children, there were only four of them, but it sort of felt like I had a million preteens and teens for a while there. That being sort of like one distinct phase where I was like, you know, trying to build my career and, you know, busy with parenting and dealing with my mental health challenges and some of my children's issues. Like there was just a lot going on. 
and then sort of like hit rock bottom, had a lot of issues with burnout, and then started trying to figure out my way to a happier, healthier place. Along the way, I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease, which is a balance and dizziness disorder. So I had to figure out, you know, how do you take care of your health so that that way the room isn't spinning at times when it shouldn't be spinning and, you know, just having to deal with sort of a lot of that kind of upheaval and worry. And then more recently, I have really loved journeying through sort of, I'd say, my, my 50s. I think my 50s have been the best year of my life or my best decade of my life. So it's funny how you can have like the best of times and the worst of times all wrapped into like one chapter or one life stage. So you mentioned this kind of nebulous age category into which women fall into midlife. Why is it so difficult to have exact ages? <laughs> because our lives are so different by the time we get to midlife. And so, you know, people always love, you know, a chronological number kind of thing. But in recent years, developmental psychologists who research midlife exclusively have decided that it just makes a lot more sense to maybe talk about this life stage more in terms of role transitions than anything else. So maybe you don't feel like you're at midlife until, if you're a parent, until your kids leave home. Or maybe it's a career change. You're laid off from a job. You start your own business. You choose to retire. Like something happens and it's almost like you close one book and you open up another book and then you feel like maybe this is midlife. So I think that there's just so much going on. And it was fascinating because when I was interviewing some of the women in the book, like one woman told me she felt very much at midlife by age 35. And I've had conversations with women who told me that even in their 70s, they were only beginning to feel like they were at midlife. So I really think that anybody who tries to come up with a nice, neat, predictable roadmap or spreadsheet they're just going to be frustrated because there's no one-size-fits-all definition of midlife or midlife experience. And all of our stories are unique. That's what makes this life stage so fascinating and every life stage so fascinating, just learning with and being in community with other people. Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, I sadly find many similarities between what women in midlife and older women say about the misconceptions and stereotypes. For example, the feelings of being invisible. So can you talk a little bit about that stereotype and others? It is so weird to, the first time you experience it, right? Because for a long time, you hear about the invisibility of older women. But until like one day you wake up and you are a midlife or older woman and you experience it yourself. And I remember very vividly the first time this happened to me. And it was in, I think, about the first year of the pandemic. I was on a Zoom call for some of my volunteer work. And somebody asked a question, a guy asked a question, and I answered the question. And my mic was turned on, I will add. And he asked the question again, and then I repeated my answer. When he did this yet again, I said, like, I'm not understanding what's going on here because my mic is turned on. I think you're hearing me, but you're not acknowledging that I'm speaking. And I think I embarrassed him into acknowledging me, but he was quite happy to brush over me. And I wasn't 100% sure if it was my newly gray hair or if it was just his way of 
like shutting down contributions from women. But I just remember feeling outraged. Uh, I don't blame you. (laughs) And in addition to feeling invisible, what are some of the other stereotypes that midlife women face? Well, there's so much talk in our culture, especially in our pop culture, about how you're supposed to be going through some kind of midlife crisis. But I feel like people often feel like they're doing midlife wrong if they're not having some kind of like dramatic upheaval, like you're supposed to go out and buy that red shiny sports car or something when it's interesting because really maybe 10 to 20 percent of people at the most, probably closer to 10 ever end up having something even remotely resembling a midlife crisis, but it's just become such a great plot line in Netflix series and and in novels and all of that, that we, we sort of anticipate that. And so that can cause a lot of dread. People heading into midlife thinking, holy cow, it's going to be a wild ride through here, but it's not necessarily for everybody. And then the other one that sort of is like happening at the same time is the idea that that midlife is something that you should absolutely dread. Like, you know, we've all heard some of the media stories about the so-called happiness curve, the idea being that your happiness will hit rock bottom when you're age 47. What what, what a fun way to have your 47th birthday, right? Hearing it's going to be rock bottom. And then it, it comes back up after that when a lot of that science has actually been discredited. So again, it's not like anybody can sort of predictively predict your path through midlife. And that's why I think it's so important to like have friends tap into the experiences of other women because they can give you hope. Like life is a bit of a roller coaster ride. So you may have times during midlife when your happiness levels go up and down or you feel like things are not great. And maybe this is feeling a bit too much like a crisis, but not to feel like you have to woefully endure feeling terrible indefinitely because this is how midlife is supposed to be or how any stage of life is supposed to be. That's absolutely not the truth. Well, and you're talking about this fear of being miserable. And of course, that brings up the subject of menopause. And while we don't have time to review the biology and psychology, you do make it clear that research shows that the stressful nature of menopause has also been overemphasized and the advantages of no longer being able to reproduce have been seriously underemphasized. So I wonder if you have a reaction to that. Absolutely. I think that the light bulb moment for me was when I read a study that said that there's a huge amount of anxiety about menopause from women who are perimenopausal or even younger women who are hearing media stories and thinking like, this does not sound like a great thing. But when you talk to women who've come out the other side, the majority of women, not all women, but but the majority of women will say, you know what, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, given all those horror stories I was reading. In fact, only about 5 to 10% of women going through menopause experience symptoms that are so severe that they actually disrupt their quality of life. That's not to say it's a picnic. I mean, you can have very annoying things, but the idea that it's going to take you out of the the game at work or at home or completely disrupt your life, that's only the experience of a small percentage of women. However, for those women, 
it is devastating. So I think we have to hold both those things at the same time, that the idea that it's universally terrible is not true. And the idea that it's a total cakewalk also is not true. Again, one of those situations where your mileage may vary. And what I find most surprising and actually exhilarating is the fact that women are going to live an average of three decades after menopause. So it is not an ending, but a clear beginning. Absolutely. And that's, I think, a really inspiring message. And so for women who maybe didn't have, you know, a huge amount of joy during their reproductive years, maybe they had a, a tough time with the biology or, or anything else of it. Uh, it is. It's a, it's a different life stage and one hopefully when you'll have many decades of, of feeling good. So switching back to midlife women again, what are some of the responsibilities that women in this age group face that maybe older women like myself don't? It all depends on sort of your family situation. Like if you are even in contact with your family, some of the people that I interviewed are estranged from a lot of their family members. But more typically, you might be looking at being a support to multiple generations of a family. If you had children, they might still be needing you because surprise, surprise, there's not like a magic finish line of parenting where you're your time and your financial resources are no longer required, that could be ongoing. And then maybe you have siblings or you have, you know, parents who are still alive. You could even in some cases have a great aunt or somebody who needs some support from you. And even if you don't have those kind of biological ties, a lot of people have friends who might as well be family because of the level of interconnectedness and the extent to which they count on one another. And I mean, if you think about it, relationships are the rich, sweet flavor of life. So we, we want that constellation of relationships. But with those relationships, if they're meaningful, also comes some responsibility. So if you're you know, a midlife woman, let's just randomly pick an age, you're 45, you're trying to make some final career sprints at work, and you have a pandemic, like people had to de- have had to deal with on an ongoing basis, or you have an aging relative with a lot of health issues who maybe need some support in navigating the healthcare system, like that can be a lot to deal with. Every once in a while, our sister text message chat, I'm the oldest of four sisters, you know, there'll be like an emergency alarm that's gone off at my dad's house and who's going to go and check it out and is everything fine on the ground? Like there's just a lot of layers of of worry, right? Absolutely. And I was thinking that as an older woman, Many of those worries are long gone. So in one way, when I was reading your book, I was feeling quite relieved and quite happy. (laughs) Makes sense to me. I was very pleased to see that you avoided the term self-care and explained how that's become to mean something very different than what it really is. Can you talk about that, please? Yes, I think for quite a few years, I've almost been allergic to the term self-care like a lot of other women, because it almost feels like somebody's giving you a little pat on your head and telling you something obvious, right? Like just, oh, just go to bed early and drink lots of fluids and be active and you just like really simplistic advice. And I often think of, you know, conversations that I've had with, with women in the crunch of things. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea in theory, but A, don't 
you think I would have thought of that myself? And B, exactly what am I supposed to do when I'm juggling four jobs or dealing with these other realities? So I think that what we think of culturally or talk about culturally as self-care, it's like completely expensive, over the top and unattainable. It's like going to a luxury spa so that you can go and do yoga on a mountaintop at dawn. Like that is not everybody's day-to-day reality. I mean, one time I did a presentation in in a gymnasium full of women and I said, how many people here have had that experience of doing yoga on a mountaintop at, at dawn? And one woman put up her hand and I said, I finally met you. And she said, I was just kidding. So I don't think that we <laughs> want to hold ourselves to a standard that, you know, I know I thought she had a great sense of humor. It did make me laugh too. So, so why would we accept these bizarre constraints? To me, the only legitimate kind of thing I would call self-care is more like self-compassion, actually being kind to yourself. Interesting. And I did for listeners who didn't find it. I do have an episode on older women and friends about a woman who talks about the importance of inner care and not outer care. You know, you use an expression, happily stressed. Why is that a good construct? Yes. Construct, excuse me, for middle agers. I'm borrowing that term from a researcher named Jeffrey Jensen Arnett, and he has done a lot of research about sort of like the emotions of midlife. And and he said that there's just such extreme stereotypes about midlife, right? You're either supposed to be, you know, completely happy or completely miserable when really it's a blend of both things. Like you're going to have a lot of sources of joy and meaning in your life. And you're also going to be carrying a heavy load. So maybe not to always feel like we have to say it's either this or it's that. It's both. And, you know, that's kind of how I landed on the title of my book about the messy middle. Not only is it a kind of a messy life stage, this midlife thing, it's also one that doesn't lend itself to being neatly shoved into one category or another. The truth isn't that it's magical or miserable. The truth is really somewhere in the middle, hence the messy middle. And I know that there are two narratives that you soundly reject for women in midlife. One is that midlife is the beginning of the end, and the other is the way to beat aging at its own game. Can you talk about those two, please? Oh, they're both so annoying, aren't they? Right? Like the whole idea (laughs) of narratives of decline. Who wants to be told, wow, it's all downhill from here. If you're feeling miserable, of course you are, because this is just the beginning of the end. Horrible messaging. But equally toxic, in my opinion, is the age denial thing. Like just, you know, don't ever say you're getting old, say you're getting better and, you know, do all these sort of extreme things to defy the movement of the biological clock. That is really just ageism against the self. And I mean, it's it's not possible to deny age or to, to not age. We're aging from the day we arrive on the planet when we're newborn babies. So, to make it such a big, bad thing, I think it just, it makes life worse for every single person moving through any life stage. Like just this idea that that you, you have to outrun something that is A, destiny, and B, that can be a tremendously fulfilling and meaningful life stage. I was lucky enough to have two grandmothers that lived well into their 90s. One was 94 when she died and the other was 97. So 
I never for a minute thought of them as, you know, having meaningless, empty lives. I mean, they were the life of the party. They were politically opinionated. They were doing volunteer work. I mean, my dad just retired from his volunteer work a year or two ago after celebrating his 90th birthday. He figured he deserves some time off for good behavior. So why would, why would we want to buy into any message that tells ourselves that, that, you know, either of those extremes is the norm because it's not. Not at all. You also write about midlife as a time of self-reflection. And I thought of turning 50, I thought about it as kind of the beginning of Act 2. So how does that self-reflection differ from the thoughts of older women? That is to say, the self-reflection of midlife women. I think there's something really amazing about sort of being at this middle chapter in our in our lives. And I mean, I'm, I'm looking with awe at some of the people in the clubhouse, right? Your your members thinking like how much more perspective you have as you continue to grow older. Last fall, I remember going to this lookout near my house. It's on the top of the hill and you can look out and you can see trees and the fall colors in all directions. It was just gorgeous. And as I was looking around it, it occurred to me, this is kind of like the broad and expansive view for midlife. You can see, you know, where you've been, where you've headed, where you are right now. Like it's just, there's something really special about that. And that really contributes to your self-knowledge. I, a couple of years ago, had a summer where I, I was like deeply connected with remembering what it was like to be my 12-year-old self. Like how when I was 12, I loved being outdoors. I loved reading books. I, you know, I just was very creative. And then I realized 12-year-old me would be so happy to know 55-year-old me or whatever I was at the Mm -hmm. time because I got to grow up to be a person who writes books. And at that point, I was like living on a lake. So it's like, there's just something really special about that. And then, of course, I am a deeply political person. I think I got that from my one grandma. And so I want the world to be so much better than it is right now. So sometimes I, I allow myself to dream about a better future. And I think about what is the role I could play in trying to, you know, in some small way, nudge the needle of progress in the right direction. And when I am that older woman, looking back at the, at not just being 12, but being like 59, like I am right now, what kind of things do I want to say about that younger person? Like, how how will I remember using my middle years of my life? And what meaning and purpose do I not even know about now that maybe will become richer and more obvious only in retrospect? Like, it's so fascinating if you can just think about all those circles of time swirling around you. And I think it's really fascinating to look at ourselves as young girls, or in your case, as a 12-year-old, and see ourselves today and see the ways in which we are really quite the same. And I think particularly if our experience has been a good one, and then we see that connection X number of decades later, I think that's a source of hope and joy. It totally is. Speaking of hope and joy, I would love you to tell listeners how they can find you, get some information about you, about your older series of books, and of course, about your new one. 
Absolutely. Probably the, the easiest place to start is just at my website, which is Ann Douglas, A-N-N-D-O-U-G-L-A-S dot C-A. And then from there, you can usually find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook when I have to. It's not my favorite platform. So I, I do a fair bit of social media just because it's part of the job description for author. And also there's something fun and creative about the photo sharing aspects of Instagram. I really enjoy that. I am totally obsessed with the beauty of the sky. So I'll go through stages where I think like, am I boring people to tears with yet another sunset? And then I think, well, it makes me happy. So maybe I'll put it out there anyway. Here, here. And is your book now available at your local bookstore and on Amazon, etc.? You can find my book pretty widely. There's actually, if you go to bookshop.org in the States or the publisher publisher's website in Canada, the publisher is Douglas and McIntyre, then both of those websites have search tools that allow you to find a copy and buy it from your local independent bookseller, which is always like the the healthiest thing you can do for the book selling ecosystem. You can also find it at the usual online retailers and it's available in both ebook and paperback. You said that like a professional. I think you've been down this road before. <laughs> Maybe a few times. <laughs> This has been fabulous. I wish we had more time. There's so much to talk about. I knew I knew I was going to adore, adore you the moment you sent me your email, Jane, because you, you're like a tell it like it is, keep it real kind of person. And that is my favorite flavor of human. So thank you for a really fun and soul nour nourishing conversation. Oh, 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 my heart is pounding. It makes this all worthwhile. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Older Women and Friends. Speaking of friends, please tell yours about this podcast. And if you'd like to contact me with comments or suggestions, you can email me at olderwomenandfriendspodcast at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please take a few minutes to write a review. It's really easy. Go to Apple Podcasts. Type in Older Women and Friends, scroll down the page, and click on Reviews. Until next time.